0: What does it mean to be spiritual? What is Christian spirituality? You know, we hear of so many different spiritualities out there in the world today. What does it really mean for a Christian to be spiritual? What are the actions? What's the mindset? How do we approach this? That's what we're gonna find out this evening. Well, when we talk about Christian spirituality, there's a lot of things to think about. And I think all of us, especially as we approach a new year, wanna deepen our spiritual life. We know that that's important, especially as Christians. But what does it mean to deepen our spiritual life? How does one deepen one's spiritual life? Well, there's a wonderful new book that is a great resource on this very topic by Dr. Brant Petrie. It's called Introduction to the Spiritual Life, Walking the Path of Prayer with Jesus. And so I I highly recommend this book. And we're blessed to have the author, Brant Petrie, who is a professor at the Augustine Institute and a dear friend. So, Brant, thank you for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me, Tim. It's really great to be here.
0: Well, you know, Brent, I'm sure you hear this a lot, but people wanna grow in their spiritual life as Christians, but it's kind of paradoxical that a lot of Catholics or a lot of Christians don't know how to grow in a spiritual life. I mean, I think a lot of people in the secular world think of spirituality meaning some kind of Buddhist meditation or a yoga or some kind of breathing, but we have a deep resource in the word of God and in the Catholic tradition. Those two are amazing resources for people are you you know what i guess let me just step back what led you to write this book what what was the impetus to tackle yeah. this idea of spirituality
1: great question um well part of it was my own personal journey so growing up as a catholic growing up as a christian i tended to think of prayer and the spiritual life primarily as saying my vocal prayers, right? So, you know, saying a prayer, but grace before meals, saying prayers before I went to bed at night, or maybe even saying a little bit longer prayer like the rosary, right? So it, I tended to think of it primarily in terms of what the spiritual masters will call vocal prayer. But um, when I began reading the spiritual classics, my works like works like uh, St. Francis de Sales, Introduction to the Devout Life, or St. John of the Cross's writings, or St. Teresa of Avila, Uh, One of the things I realized was that according to the saints, uh, the spiritual life of a Christian is much more than just saying your prayers or that vocal prayer, but that it involved practices of prayer that we often do associate with like Eastern religions or things like that, things such as meditation or contemplative prayer, which. At the time when I first started studying, I, I wasn't even sure what exactly those things meant, mm-hmm. much less, you know, where are they in the Bible and, and did Jesus ever speak about them? So as I began to read the spiritual classics and I was really blown away, not only by the wisdom and the uh, depth of their insight into the spiritual path and the spiritual journey of what it means to be a Christian, but I also, as a biblical scholar, began to recognize, hey, wait a second. Uh, you might have all these different spiritual traditions within the christian church like the carmelite spirituality or ignatian spirituality the jesuits or something like that but at the end of the day they were all drawing from one common source and that is the spiritual master of all spiritual masters who is christ himself
0: so um, brian i love that imagery because you know people do hear about franciscan spirituality ignatian spirituality you know and if you Carmelite spirituality, you know, and but what you're showing, and I think the way you approach this in in your book that I love so much, is that these are different branches, but they all go back to the same trunk and the same tree and the same root system. And that root system is really the word of God in scripture, isn't it?
1: That's absolutely right. Yeah, that's really what blew me away as a biblical scholar. As I started working through topics, basic topics like uh, vocal prayer, meditation, contemplation, Lexio Divina, praying with the Bible, uh, as well as mysterious elements of the spiritual growth uh, spiritual growth like the dark night of the soul that St. John of the Cross talks about. I began to realize, wait a second, all this stuff, this is not just flowing from the mystical experiences of this saint or that saint. It's flowing from the Old Testament, right? the Jewish scriptures, the teachings of Jesus in the Gospels, and then also the teachings of the apostles in the New Testament. So what I've tried to do in this book is take all those basic elements of Christian spirituality, prayer, fasting, almsgiving, the seven capital sins, the opposing virtues, you know, examination of conscience, all these different practices, and ask, where are they in the Old Testament? Where are they in the teachings of Jesus? And then what does the apostolic preaching of the saints and the tradition tell us about how to put them into practice in our daily lives? So um, I've taught a few courses on this. I've taught one at the Augustine Institute just recently on the Bible and the spiritual life. And I got to tell you, Tim, teaching about the spiritual life from a biblical perspective was the most transformative mm. experience I've ever had in the classroom. Mm. Like As I began to share what I learned from Jesus and the saints on these topics, I could see the students' eyes light up and I could feel in my own heart that this wasn't just informative, it was transformative. Mm. right? This is, the, this is what Jesus will talk about in the famous story of Mary and Martha as the one thing necessary. Uh, for us. We have to sit. We have to be quiet. We have to listen to the teachings of the master and grow in our spiritual life.
0: You know, Brent, you, you use that word transformative and not just informative. And I think a lot of people think Christianity is about being informed by sure. what how you should live morally, right? So we think of the Ten Commandments and right. the moral code of Christianity, but at the heart of Christianity is not just a moral code or you know, moral laws. There's a spirituality that transforms the way we live and think about things. And I, I want to I want you to tackle that question of the difference between looking at Christianity as how do we look at Christianity? Not just as a moral right, th- thing, you know, a moral law, yeah. so to speak, yeah. uh, but something that's deeply spiritual. And before you answer that, I want to let people know that they can always text us their questions and we. Hopefully we can get to it in this episode or in another one, but we'd love to collect your questions and, and hear from you so you can join. So you can text your questions at 720-650-0100. That's 720-650-0100. So we'd love to have you join us in our conversation. So, Brent, yeah, talk about this idea of Christianity as a moral organization versus a spiritual organization. Yeah, love to hear your yeah. thoughts.
1: Absolutely. So one of the things I, uh, you you already held up the cover of the book. So one of the things that was distinctive about this book is the subtitle. So walking the path of prayer with Mm. Jesus. And that was very crucial to me, to breaking out of that mindset of thinking of Christianity as merely like a set of external laws that are imposed upon us. And that if we follow these rules, you know, uh, we will receive benefits or rewards, but if we break them, we'll receive punishments. Now that's of course, absolutely true. Christianity has a deep, deep Uh, moral core and it is a moral code of life but when it comes to the spiritual life it's important to recognize that it's not just that we don't reduce it to that and that when jesus talks about spiritual growth he talks about it using the image of a path or a way right you know this in greek the way it's 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 a journey it's a road it's a path and uh jesus will not only refer to um the path that he gives to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, right? There, you know, there's one way that leads to eternal life and another way that leads to separation from God, these two ways. But also he'll refer to himself as the way, the path and the life. And so in this book, what I'm trying to do is show that Christ, when he gives his spiritual teaching to the disciples, above all in the Sermon on the Mount, but lots of places elsewhere as well, especially the parables, What he's describing is a road or a path that has a beginning point, namely with repentance, Mm. baptism, faith, but it also has a final destination, which is eternal life. And the image that he uses of spiritual, of the spiritual path he's giving to his disciples is just that, it's a journey. In other words, uh, it involves moving and making progress along a road that leads to a final destination now for me tim i have to say as i began to study this and teach about it that shifting my understanding of spirituality from just a kind of code of rules that I had to follow to a path was really transformative because growing up as a catholic i kind of just i kind of tended to think of uh, the spiritual life almost as a revolving door right so in one state you have mortal sin right on the other state you have a st- side you have a state of grace so you get these two sides of the revolving door and the goal was to, you know, so to speak, die on the right side of the door. I want to die in a state of grace rather than a state of mortal sin. Now that's true uh in its in itself, but it's 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 not the whole picture here because the spiritual life isn't supposed to be a revolving door. We're actually supposed to be making progress. Mm. We're supposed to be moving forward. But at least in my own life, and I think I from I can testify from the sharing, what, what students have shared with me, a lot of people feel like they're just going in circles in their spiritual life that they're not making any progress. So in this book, what I tried to do is go back to basics and say, what are the tools, what are the teachings of Jesus, the spiritual disciplines that he gave to his apostles in order to help them make progress on the path, the one path that Mm. leads to eternal life. Uh, And so I look at things like, uh, what does Jesus teach in the Sermon on the Mount about basic spiritual disciplines, like vocal prayer, right? The Lord's prayer. Uh, Jesus gave us a, a perfect prayer, how to pray it, uh, the pr- discipline of fasting, almsgiving, as well as other practices like meditation and contemplative prayer as well, but well, all Brian, through the lens of what Jesus taught about.
0: Yeah, you know, I love that you take this biblical image of the path, the way, and you show that it, that spirituality is dynamic. It's not static. You know, I think a lot of people, you know, using that analogy, I'm in the state of grace, or I'm out of the state of grace. Yeah. Well, you, the invitation is not just to be in the state of grace, but to grow in grace, and that's an adventure. That leads to something where, as we look at the lives of the saints that you mentioned, um, there's, there's a, always a new horizon as you're advancing in that spiritual life, and that's pretty exciting. And all of a sudden, prayer doesn't become a duty that I have to do, like a moral obligation I need to check off. Check it, off the list. It yeah. becomes, as you said, uh, and uh, the other image you use is a map. You know, and I think what you're doing is, I think a lot of, as you talked about, and I know for myself, when I grew up Catholic, I didn't have the sense of a roadmap, uh, that there was a journey, and that I needed to take these tools for the journey. And so, you, you map out tools for the journey. And you mentioned a couple of them, you know, you, the Sermon on the Mount, and fasting, almsgiving, prayer. These are three tools for right. our spiritual journey, for our spiritual growth. What are some of those other tools that you talk about?
1: Well, the one that, I, I, for me at least, was the most transformative to, to begin with was studying uh, what the Bible has to say, what Jesus has to say about what we call meditation, right? I mentioned earlier when I was growing up Catholic, I'd heard a vocal prayer, I understood saying my prayer, but I never heard anyone really talk about meditation. Uh, if I heard about meditation, mm-hmm. it was always in the context of Eastern religions, right? Things mm-hmm. that Buddhists might do or, you know, uh, Eastern, Eastern uh, spirituality. And so the question was kind of raised as I began to study, wait, is meditation biblical? Is that something from scripture? And sure enough, of course it is. If you go back, um, not only to the gospels, but if you go back to the Old Testament itself, in the very first Psalm, at the beginning of the most popular book of prayer in the Old Testament, which is the book of Psalms, it's basically the prayer book of first century Judaism, right? This would have been the quintessential collection of spiritual songs and prayers that Jesus himself would have prayed in his humanity, in his human life as a faithful Jew, listen to the words of the very first Psalm in the Old Testament. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law, the Torah in Hebrew, he meditates day and night, Mm. day and night. Now, it's fascinating. I know you know this, Tim, but this this struck me when I started studying this. The word for meditate there in Hebrew, hagah, It literally means to groan or to sigh over the scriptures, over the word of God. So according to the Old Testament, meditation isn't just, you know, Bible study. It's not just reading the Bible. It's certainly more than just skimming the text or analyzing it. It's about pondering the scripture and taking it into not just my mind, but into my heart groaning over it, uh, sighing over the truths that I encounter in the Word of God and doing that not just you know occasionally, uh, every lent or every Easter or something like that, but daily. It's, it's a daily part of spiritual life. And uh, what the Saints actually say about this, this is amazing. This is Teresa of Avila, I know who, you, who I know you love. Yeah. Um, in the 16th century, one of the great doctors of the church, doctors of prayer and the mystical life, she said, Meditation is the basis for acquiring all the virtues and to undertake it as a matter of life and death for all Christians. Wow, now that's not just nuns, not just priests or hermits, but every single Christian is called to meditate on the scriptures, on the word of God every single day.
0: Yeah, that that is an important roadmap, right? That meditation, this idea that you mentioned which I love, the Hebrew idea of hagah to, yeah. to really internalize this, so you feel it in your gut, so to speak. And I, I, I love that image of Isaiah, I think it's in Isaiah 31, where the lion that's haggah its prey as it's chewing. Chewing it <laughs> up. As, as it's chewing its prey, it's, it's groaning with this, mm, like you, you have a great filet <laughs> mignon, you know, it's just like, ah, oh, this tastes good. and yeah. uh, yeah, and, and, and that's, we should be savoring God's word because we're savoring these truths that are saving to us. Absolutely. That that's why a...
1: Jesus says, you know, man does not live by bread alone, mm. but by every word that comes forth mm. from the mouth of God. So it should be our spiritual food. It's our spiritual nourishment. And so many of my students told me over the years, you know, I just feel so dry. I feel so empty. Um, I don't feel like I'm growing. I don't feel like I'm bearing any fruit. And so i often will say, well, you know, Are you you meditating on the Mm. Word of God? Are you doing that every day? Because if you're not, you're going to feel hungry. You're going to feel like you're starving spiritually. And that's why not just the Old Testament, but Jesus himself is going to use this image from the book of Psalms of this, a a man who meditates being like a tree planted beside running water that bears fruit in due season. He's going to take that up. He's going to use it in one of his most famous parables of all, which is the parable of the sower, right? In Luke chapter 8, at the very end of the parable he gives you three kinds of soil that don't bear fruit and then a fourth soil that does bear fruit and what's the difference tim he says that the good soil that bears fruit refers to quote those who hearing the word Mm -hmm. hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear forth fruit with patience Mm. so there you know jesus never used the word meditate but he's talking about meditation yeah. in a jewish way yeah. when he gives the parable of the sower and he teaches his disciples here's a key tool for your growing in the spiritual life making progress on the hold the path and beginning to actually bear spiritual fruit you can't do it apart from consuming the word of god on a daily basis
0: well brent i love that and that fits in with what roger asks uh He's asking, how can I better distinguish between meditation and contemplation? Kind of ooh, looking at the ooh, big road the, map here. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No. This is a good. This is a great question. I get this question all the time. So, uh, again, if you look for Jesus to use the word, use the word meditation or use the word contemplation, you're not going to find that in the Gospels. But what you have to do is understand what those terms mean, and then look for the reality being described, whether it's in the Old Testament or in the New. So, what I would say is. Just from, so let's define our terms first. So if you look at the spiritual classics, uh, if meditation means using our thoughts to, to think about God, to think about the word of God, contemplative prayer or contemplation in its most basic form is, in a sense, using the eyes of our hearts to simply gaze at God. It's the desire to see the face of God, to simply encounter him. So if you think about it this way, uh, whereas vocal prayer uses words, right, to talk to God, and meditation, we use thoughts to think about God, contemplation or contemplative prayer is a kind of gaze of love between the soul and God, where we quietly sit, we listen for his voice, and we seek his face. Uh, You can see this actually in the Old Testament, um, in the book of Exodus chapter 33, you know, we always think of Moses as either the great liberator, you know, of Israel or the great lawgiver who gives the commandments. But in Jewish and Christian spiritual tradition, Moses is the great mystic as well. He's, mm-hmm. he's the great example of contemplative prayer because he, when he wants to pray, he goes into the inner room in the tabernacle, and it says that there he's talked to God, he prayed face to face, Right. As a man with his friend. Now, the the Hebrew word there for face, as you know, is panim, and it also means presence, right? So Moses is encountering God. He's not just talking to God, he's not just thinking about God, he's entering into God's presence. It's presence to presence, face to face. So contemplative prayer uh, is the kind of thing David describes in Psalm 27, right? His desire to seek the face of the Lord, right? And his desire also to be gazed upon by the Lord, right? It's this gaze of love between the soul and God. So if you think, well, where's where that in the Gospels? The, uh, the spiritual classics will all point to one key passage in the Gospels. It's the famous story of Mary and Martha. We all know the story, right? Mm-hmm. So Martha's very busy. She's very active. She's trying to uh, show hospitality to Jesus and prepare a meal for him when he's coming to the house. But Mary, her sister, is sitting at the master's feet gazing up at his face and just quietly listening to him. right. And in a first century Jewish setting, that that posture of sitting at his feet was actually the standard posture of a disciple to a master, of a disciple to a rabbi, right? So when Jesus rebukes Martha, he doesn't rebuke her for her hospitality, that's a virtue. What he says is, you are anxious and distracted by many things. Mary has chosen the good portion and it won't be taken from her. And what he means there is that Mary has chosen to sit, to be quiet, to gaze at his face and to listen to his voice. That's the one thing necessary. So the saints are going to use that image of Mary as kind of model for contemplative prayer, where we don't seek to, in a sense, do anything or be active, but just to be still and know that he is God, like Psalm forty-six, ten.
0: 10. I love that, Brant. And you know, one of the things as you constantly go back and forth with this, you're always taking things back to the life of Jesus, back to the Word of God. And I think that's unique. I mean, obviously, I think you're probably pretty struck by Teresa of Avila, John of the Cross, John Cassian, uh, so many oh, great, yeah, but they use scripture quite a bit, don't they?
1: Yes. No, this, Tim, this is actually what blew me away. When I started reading the spiritual classics 20 years ago or so, um, I expected it to just be the kind of like mystical pontifications of things that they had experienced in their prayer life or in visions or whatever it might be. But that's not primarily what I encountered. Primarily what I encountered were commentators on scripture. I saw these mystics and saints mm. saying over and over again, well, This experience of prayer that I had flows out of this passage in the gospels or this psalm or this episode from the life of Jesus. And I I was blown away by how deeply biblical, Mm -hmm. authentic Christian spirituality really is. And not just biblical, but Christocentric, right? That all the saints realize that at the end of the day, though they might have this spiritual teacher or that spiritual teacher, their focus is always on the one master, of the spiritual life, the master of masters, the master and model of prayer. And that's Jesus himself. Like he says to the disciples, you have one teacher and that is the Christ.
0: Well, and I, I love um, the way you go about this, what I would call root and branch and that the root being Christ himself and the word right. of God. And you're constantly at every, whether you're talking about almsgiving, fasting, prayer, vocal prayer, meditation, contemplation, uh, all these different things, you bring it back in the scripture, but you also bring in another element and that is maybe the branch or the leaf. And mm-hmm. that, that approaches the fathers or the tradition. So you, you're gonna quote from St. Thomas Aquinas, in the heart of, you know, from the heart of the Middle Ages. You're gonna quote from St. Francis de Sales, from Teresa of Avila. And so throughout, there's this wonderful combination that's I think quite unique in an approach to the spiritual life that you bring to this book of going back to the roots, that is, Christ and the scriptures, but then you, you, you show where that flows out into the tradition and it blossoms with Aquinas or Teresa of Avila or St. Francis of Sales. It seems like that methodology was fairly intentional. What led you to that?
1: Well, a, a few things led me to that. The first thing was fear and trepidation about writing about something <laughs> as powerful and significant as a spiritual life. I, I wanted to be clear as I was working through this book. That this is not what, you know, Dr. Brant Petrie, professor of, of theology, says about the spiritual life. I really wanted to try to get out of the way and let the scriptures and Jesus and the saints teach us mm. about the spiritual life. But in my own experience of teaching courses on spirituality, I had noticed that sometimes when I would give these great classics to the students like John of the Cross or Teresa of Avila or St. John Cassian's conferences or St. John Climacus in the East, his famous Ladder of the Divine Ascent, a lot of times, the students they they were both attracted to it, but they also found it difficult to understand. Like, what exactly are they talking about? It's hard for me to identify with some of the things that they're saying. Or if a book like uh, Saint Francis de Sales is, you know, it's four or five hundred years old, and uh, sometimes the the analogies they use don't always resonate with modern readers. So what I tried to do here was kind of gather up all the fruits, all the all the treasures that I discovered, and simply share them. So the first thing, reason I did it this way was. Um, just because I wanted to be clear that I'm writing this as from one disciple to another. I just want to share the wisdom that I found and has been transformative for my life with others. The other thing was that I found that sometimes, not sometimes, often, you'll see the teachings of Christ in the Gospels or in the Old Testament, but it's not always clear exactly how to put those into practice practically. And that's where the saints come in, because they didn't just read the Bible, they lived it. They, we know that they allowed it to transform their lives. That's why we call them the saints and the holy ones. So at the end of each chapter, what I tried to do was be very intentional, not just of showing that the interpretations of scripture I'm suggesting to you aren't mine. They're just the living tradition of the church, but also to take those practical examples from the saints about how to put this into practice I, in yeah. your everyday life.
0: I think that's so important. And it just reminds me, Brand, of a great theologian Pope Benedict XVI, emeritus. And, you know, when he was in charge of editing the catechism and that project, and he wanted to make sure that uh, the saints were brought in, that we were, you know, the church was teaching its doctrine, but then there had to be a saint who was bearing witness in their own lives to that doctrine, to that teaching. And so the catechism is sprinkled throughout. And so it has that same kind of feeling of, you know, teaching rooted in scripture and in the tradition, but then always going back to the lives of the saints. And, uh, yeah,
1: because they're the, they're the, they, they are the living witnesses and the living interpreters of Scripture. They help mm-hmm. us see how to interpret it correctly, not just mm-hmm. through their words, but through their actions and how they live their lives. Yeah. So, for example, let me just give one from here. So, people will often say to me, well, I want to start practicing meditation, but where do I start? Well, yeah. listen to the words of the saints. Saint Ignatius of Loyola, for example, says, start with the Our Father. Start with the words of the Lord's Prayer, right? That's scripture, Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Almost everybody has that memorized. So begin by just quietly pondering on each of those words. What, what does it mean to call God Father? What does it mean to say, uh, hallowed be your name? And all the way down through it. Uh, Ther- St. Teresa, uh, sorry, St. Therese of Lisieux said for her, always the Gospels, right? To, she kept going back to the Gospels. If you want to have a place to start and to end in your meditation, Focus on the life of Jesus. Look at how He made manifest to us what the Word made flesh, what it looks like to live a life of perfect virtue and perfect charity. So there are all kinds of, you know, examples of tips like that from the saints about where to start, where to begin, and then how to make progress.
0: Brian, I'm going to just mention again, that if to our audience, Brand's book that he keeps referring to is Introduction to the Spiritual Life and uh, by Brian Petrie. And you can get this at catholic.market. So a lot of, Our people know that our e-commerce store, Catholic.Market, you can find that book on the the store right now and you can order it. And, uh, Brent, who did you intend to read this book? Who did you write this for?
1: Uh, Okay, that's a great question. Um, I I wrote it for everyone, first of all. So you don't you don't have to I I tried to write it. Slow down, Brent. Okay, I, I, I tried to write it in such a way that anyone, no matter where they were on the spiritual path, if they were just getting started, or if they were already very advanced in prayer and had read a lot of the spiritual classics and been practicing prayer and spiritual uh, you know, practices of Christianity mm. for many, many years, that anyone could get something out of this. Because it's written to be very clear, right? So it's, it's, I try to be as accessible as possible. But also, you're going to learn some things in here. If you haven't, even if you studied the spiritual classics, um, you're going to learn about what the Old Testament teaches about spirituality. A lot of people don't even think it has to do anything with that. A lot of people just start with the Gospels and start with the New Testament. No, 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 no. The spiritual path that Jesus himself taught his disciples is already being revealed in the Old Testament and the Jewish scriptures. Uh, also, too, and this is really important, uh, the title, Introduction to the Spiritual Life, is an homage to St. Francis de Sales classic work, The Introduction to the Devout Life, which was the first book of spiritual theology that I ever read. And one of the things that's unique about that book is that many of the mystical writings and classics were written for cloistered you know, nuns or, or monks or desert hermits and things like that. And so sometimes for lay people, it can be a little hard to identify with them. But St. Francis de Sales' Introduction to the Devout Life was written explicitly for Christians living in the world. And so as a lay person myself, my primary audience for this book were lay Christians living in the world who want to make progress, who are serious about their faith, and they want to make progress in their spiritual life,
0: wow. but they
1: don't necessarily know where to go with
0: it. Brent, I think you really hit the mark with this book. I think you've done St. Francis de Sales Proud. I think that, uh, and I think that there's so much to this. We're going to spend, we're going to, we're going to do another episode. We're going to talk about this next week sure. because one of the beautiful things about living, living in the world and addressing a spirituality for those who live in the world is dealing with the practical virtues and vices that we have to navigate and how virtue and vice, which gets to that moral life a little bit, yeah, is sure. actually a spiritual life. It's actually, it's not separated. Morality no. and spirituality aren't separated. We're going to find, we're going to talk about that next week with everybody. So I want to thank you for being on. And we're going to, we're going to talk about the uh, part two next week. So I hope you can all join us uh, next week as well. We'll have Dr. Brian Petrie back and we're going to talk about this, how to live a Christian Catholic spirituality in our day-to-day lives in the world today. With, our vir- with virtues and good habits. I hope you can all join us, and I want to thank everybody who's joined our mission circle that supports our ministry so that we can get these great treasures of our Catholic faith out to many, many people, and that's our desire. So may the Lord bless and keep you all. Take care.
2: You can watch this show in video format by visiting form.org. You can watch this show in video format by visiting form.org. Formed is an online Catholic streaming service created by the Augustan Institute and Ignatius Press, with award-winning studies and parish programs, inspiring audio content, movies, e-books, and family-friendly kids programming. To support the mission of the Augustan Institute, please visit missioncircle.org.